Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Hey, welcome to episode 19 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. In this episode, we will talk about where we've been. We will talk some training. We'll do a fabulous book review. We'll get into my favorite segment, which is taken. And uh, we've got an interview today with the great training team from RPM Pizza. Margaret Jackson joins us along with Brooke, her sidekick. And then we'll talk about uh, where we're going to be. We'll hear from Willie Nelson, get on the road again, then we will land this plane. So that's what we got on tap. It's been a minute since our last episode, probably about five weeks when you're listening to this. And we apologize for that. Drew and I have thankfully been busy with lots of clients and uh, had a hard time connecting. So we're back and hopefully better than ever. Drew, how the heck you been? I'm great. And I apologize for nothing. Okay, well, well, I will shoulder all the responsibility because honestly, I think that's where it belongs. So, uh, so let's. <laughs> it's a let's, perfect segue for this episode. Let's let this plane take off so eventually we can land it, I guess. All right. In that case, Willie, go ahead and hit it. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. And that folks right there is Willie. telling you how long it's been since we've done this. I've been every merit wear man. Johnny Cash, right? Yeah. Okay. I think so. All right. Wow. All right. All right. Hit it, Johnny. Johnny. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Hey, Sam. So where have you been that has caused us to have a five-week gap in our every other week episodes? Well, I think, uh, you know, part of the gap is you were in Maine and I was in California. So we're dealing with that whole time. Uh, gap thing. But yeah, I uh, loaded up the uh, GMC and headed out to California for four days with team up in Stockton. Had a chance to work with them, did a little world's fastest pizza maker competition. Also did some training on load and go to help them be a little bit faster and help them with their out the door times and their, their EADT and make sure that they're getting customers super hot pizza. So that was fantastic. And along the way, I, uh, I just out of happenstance realized that I was uh, traveling along Route 66. So the trip took about a day longer than it should have because I stopped at every remaining roadside attraction there was on Route 66. And, um, you know, if, if you like that sort of stuff, I highly recommend it. It was a good time. How about you, Drew? I was in Maine, as you said, and I was helping uh, Fernando Stelzer with his supervisors and the Better Than Yesterday visit system. I have been working with my friend Elise on the BTYU, the Better Than Yesterday University online training system, where I've actually got the coach modules from the DFA. I have a recording only available through there. The third module, I think I'm going to do just through there. So folks have to actually join BTYU to get the coach module. Um, nice. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of nice to sit back and actually plan out training as opposed to what we normally do, which is wait for somebody to call, have them tell us what's broken and us suggest how ways to fix it. So this is a different way to approach that same problem. 
Yeah, that's nice. And thankfully, uh, lots of folks have been calling and we've been, both of us, really busy, which is fantastic. So let's jump in. Let's talk some training, shall we? To build off what you just said about sitting back and and planning the training, I think today we should talk about setting some great expectations, especially on the basics. I think as people are getting deeper and deeper into, I gosh, what are we, 19, 20 months into this whole COVID thing, people are getting worn out and they think their teams are getting worn out and, and they likely are. I'm not taking anything away from that. What I'm seeing some folks do is they're starting to let some of their basic fundamentals lacks. They're starting to let some of their basic expectations lack. And I think what you're going to hear later on in the interview with Brooke and Margaret is they found that the people that aren't letting their expectations down at all are the ones that are having the least amount of problems with staffing. So I thought it would be a good chance for us to take this segment and talk about just the very basics of the, of the industry and the very basics of Domino's Pizza and what made Domino's Pizza so great over the last 60 years. And that's PSI. And the reason I say PSI instead of the words is because I think some of our listeners might not know what PSI is because we have done probably a poor job of making sure that our folks know what the building blocks to the business are. So when I talk about PSI, of course, I'm talking about product, service, image. And to me, and I think we've talked about this before, Drew, but to me, image is the easiest one. It's all laid out in the standards in black and white. There is almost no gray area to image. I mean, I think you can make a pretty good argument for tattoos are still a little bit gray. You know, what is offensive? What isn't? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. The Supreme Court figured that out. It's okay. Did they really? Oh, so, okay. So, so small diversion. This goes back to the seventies and the the Larry Flint movie where the Supreme court said, I can't tell you what pornography is, but when I see it, I'll let you know. Right. I do recall that. And, And that's the same thing with the offensive tattoos. I can't give you a list of what offensive tattoos are, but when I see it, I will absolutely let you know. Yeah. And I think the challenge we have, especially with, uh, and here we go diving down into this rabbit hole after I said we wouldn't spend much time on it. I think the challenge we have with tattoos is that I've rarely run into somebody uh, that's got beautiful artwork on them that they think is offensive. People rarely permanently change their body with something that they think is is offensive. So I think as leaders, what we've got to do is is put ourselves directly in the middle of the road. And when we're making those, uh, when we're making those decisions on would that be offensive or would it not be, we've got to think about all of our customers and what they see, not what's offensive to us or not. And I think what's really important is how you approach it when you find out one could be offensive to a customer. And that's you simply say, hey, listen, I think it looks great on you, uh, but you got to cover it. And you leave it at that. You don't get into the ins and outs of why it's offensive or, or if it's offending you or, oh my gosh, why in the heck did you get that? And I don't think that's important. I would agree. Image, image for me is one of those, like, I agree with you. It's, it's one of those easy ones to set, but it also is one of those ones that has to be set from the beginning. It's, it's, it's the, the little boy in the da- in the dikes, right? As soon as the water starts to come through, it's coming through everywhere and you're not going to stop it. And, and that's what image is. It's rare that you see 
a single solitary person that's out of image in a store. It's always the entirety of the store is out of image in some form or fashion, which leads me to this one. You might bring up tattoos. I bring up beards. I don't understand why we have like three and four inch beards. Doesn't make any sense to me. It's not my thing either. Uh, One of the things that, you know, a supervisor said to me in one of my workshops, he said, when I am enforcing standards, my personal opinions are irrelevant. The only thing I care about is, are you in or out of standards? It doesn't matter if I like or dislike three or four inch beards. It doesn't matter if I like or dislike tattoos. It doesn't matter if I like or dislike fingernail polish. What matters is what's written in the standards. And it's my job to uphold those standards. So I think you're you're spot on. It's not even standards. Like this is standard food safety issue. I can't have nail polish in food production anywhere. I can't have a three inch beard in food production anywhere. This isn't this isn't Domino's is being mean to me. No, this is like, like if you want to work around food, you have to do these basic things to work around food to keep people safe. And somewhere along the line, that message got lost because, oh my gosh, they might quit on me. Yeah. And you know, they might quit on you if the first time you mention it is the first time you see it. And Drew, you, you couldn't have said it any better than when you said it a minute ago is these expectations have to be set up from the beginning. We've got to make sure that during the interview process, we're setting full-fledged expectations. Heck, I don't know, maybe you could go back to virtual training event number one and listen to that whole thing on full-fledged expectations. But if you're not setting expectations from the beginning, then you're setting yourself up for very difficult, crucial conversations later because you never set the expectation. And now that somebody's out of standards, You have to have this conversation with them and you have to start with teaching them what the standard is. And that's just a horrible way to go. We've got to do a better job of laying standards from the beginning, all of them. And I think what's really important is that, you know, if a guy like Drew comes into your store and applies and you don't see any tattoos, you don't see any facial hair, you see a gentleman that's a little bit more mature and pretty clean cut. Gray hair, gray hair. You had to go the mature route with the gray hair. I get it. I get it. Continue. Well, I didn't want to be like you and just call you old like you call me so many times. But besides that, you don't want to take a look at a guy like Drew or myself and say they don't have tattoos. They don't have long hair. They don't have facial hair. I don't need to talk to them about things like that. When I'm doing workshops on interviewing, I say it doesn't matter who you're looking at, who's across the table. Your spiel should not be gender-based and you should not have any preconceived notions based on what's sitting across the table from you. I tell everybody the same thing. When it comes to nail polish, I talk to men and women the same way. When it comes to facial hair, I talk to men and women the same way. It's not because I think she's going to grow a beard. It's because my spiel is my spiel and everybody hears the same thing. So that I know that I've set clear cut, full fledged expectations with every single one of the team members that's going to make a choice on whether or not they want to be on my team based on my expectations. Later on, Sam, we're going to talk about our book review and it's based around hockey. And a lot of our viewers may not be familiar with hockey. I do want to mention a sport at this moment, though, if you're cool with. Talk about the sports ball, my friend. Cool. So in sports ball, there is the greatest franchise ever, the New York Yankees. And to this day, they're still occasionally berated for it, I guess. They have a very high 
uniform standard. If you're a New York Yankee, you are still not allowed to grow facial hair. You're allowed to have a mustache, but no beard. Your hair is not allowed to touch your collar. It sounds like actually very similar standards to what used to be at Domino's years ago. And I tell this story occasionally in class when I understand that the folks are sports ball related, but there's a player who used to play on the Red Sox, Johnny Damon. And Johnny Damon had a three inch full beard and had a flowing monster mullet when he would play center field for the Red Sox. And his contract came up and he went to the Yankees and said, you guys pay a lot more. I want to play for you. And the Yankees were like, fine, shave the beard, shave the hair. And all of the sports prognosticators were like, there's no way Johnny Damon's going to do this. Johnny Damon completely did it. He completely shaved the beard and cut the hair and kept the hair short because day one, the Yankees said, you can't have that. What would have happened? I don't know. Six months in and the Yankees were like, hey, by the way, now that we have all these commercials with you, like looking like this and we're promoting you. Now we'd like you to shave and cut your hair. I think the conversation would have been slightly different. Oh, it would have been totally different. I mean, he would have immediately got on the defensive and said, this is not what I signed up for. I, you know, I, I, I've heard about your rules, but you didn't tell them to me. So I thought I was the exception. And that's what the team members are thinking. And obviously John Johnny Damon is making a little bit more money than our average delivery driver. That's just it though, right? He's still had a choice because he could choose to go and work for the greatest organization ever and cut hair and shave and, and look presentable, or he could choose to go play anywhere else, probably make a couple bucks less because the Yankees do pay people an insane amount of money. Our team members have that same choice. They could go and work at Uber and have what for a dress code? Nothing. Basically nothing. Yeah. Right. Please get dressed. It's a hindrance. If, you don't talk about it. If you only use the standard when you feel like it, if you only use the standard because your supervisor or franchisee is showing up later today. Or worse yet, you know, OER is in town. That is like the worst phrase on the planet. Like you want to watch my veins pop out of my neck. Tell me you've got to do something. Cause I, okay, I'm going to totally do I can't hold it back now, Sam. You've, you've unleashed this. I had a supervisor in a recent class tell me he had baking mats that were OER mats. And I said, okay, I know what an OER mat is, but I'm going to ask what's an OER mat. And he goes, well, I keep a dozen mats for each store held back. So when the OERs in town, the clean, pretty ones are out and available. I'm like, cool. Your store needs to prep 28 twists tonight. And they have four mats. Give them the mats. The thought process just makes me cringe. It makes my blood boil, Sam. I'm going to hold equipment back from you for you to do your job the correct way until the very moment you need to do your job the correct way then I'll give it to you, but not for the everyday moment. No, no, no. Only for this special twice a year moment. It's insanity. Sorry. We've digressed greatly off of expectation. But did we, I, I mean, the expectation is only do the right job when somebody around is going to grade you. When the reality is the most important graders are there every single day. The people that have money, the people that we are in this business, to make happy. I mean, if I said it well, once, that supervisor, by the way, was the lowest OER average of the group. He's what a surprise. I mean, right. Shocker. I, I, I'm sorry. I, wow. There's just venom coming out. I'm so sorry. I have to step well, back a second. You talk. Well, and I think that's because you ran the team and, you know, I was an evaluator for six years as well. So these are, 
these are very emotional things for us. They, they just make us curdle because we were on the team that was designed to help give a snapshot of, of how the store was doing. And it was not designed to see what you could do when you knew the audience was in, in the building. And if you knew how to perform, we wanted to know if you did perform all the time when nobody was looking, because to me, that's, you know, that's the definition of integrity. You do what's right when, when no one's looking. And it sounds to me to circle this back to the expectations that that supervisor was setting horrible expectations for his team. He's not, he's not setting his team up for success with, we do things right because they're right. And, you know, you already alluded to the book a little bit, you know, this, this guy, John U. Bacon, who was the author of the book, also interviewed Bo Schembechler and Bo Schembechler was often known for saying, we do what's right. And what's right is not always easy. In fact, it rarely is easy. And Drew and I talk all the time about, we want to make your job easy. I, I think it's really important for us to define what we mean by that. Being a general manager is never going to be an easy job. But what we try to do is give you tips and techniques and put tools in your tool belt that will make the most difficult parts of the job easier. And that's handling the rush. That's making sure that you're ready for the rush, making sure that the rush is over as soon as humanly possible because you crushed it. That's what we're talking about when we talk about making your job easy. If you're looking for an easy job, you're in the wrong place if you want to be a Domino's Pizza general manager. But if you want to make that job easier and be more successful, then keep listening to the podcast and we'll keep throwing out some nuggets that will help make the job easier. So on Facebook, there's a franchisee. How you doing, John Glass? Come on the podcast. You know you want to. You want to talk to us. It's okay. Who posts a lot around that? He says it's it's not easy, but it's worth it. And and I have to be honest, like like that phrasing for a while drove me nuts. I want it to be easy. But to your point, Sam, that's just it, right? There's a difference between easy, like easy is sitting on my couch and playing whatever insert video game here, right? Whatever the cool thing is this week. That's easy. I don't have to think there's no expectation. It doesn't matter to anybody. Fine. But you're absolutely right, Sam. It's about, it's about making it easier, right? No one, no one ever celebrates starting the car. Right. I turn the car on, the key goes in, it starts. However, my grandfather, he had a crank start model a, and every time that car would start and I was little, I was like 10 when he had this, maybe eight, but every time that car would start, man, it was like he won the super bowl. Cause he would jump up both arms up in the air because the car started because sometimes it didn't and it just wasn't going to, and it was hard. There's hard. That's worth it. And then there's making hard easier, but still worth it. And that's, man, setting expectations up front is hard. I have to have a conversation with you. I have to talk with you. I have to know what those expectations are. And then, oh my gosh, I have to follow them myself. And that gets hard, but it's so much easier than not setting the expectations, having your entire team be all over the place, walk out, leave, go across the street for a better 12 cents an hour. Like do, do what's hard because it makes your life easier. Let's kind of wrap this subject up with, with a tip for some of our listeners. And 
you know, we've talked about setting expectations and the importance of that. And I think where we're at right now, again, 18, 19 months into this whole COVID-19 thing, I think we're at the place right now where people are saying, okay, I get it. I need to set expectations, but unfortunately that's not what I've done. So what do I do from here? And I think it starts by going to your team members, either individually or in small groups, or, you know, we talked a couple episodes before about a little free rush huddle with the group. And I think it starts with an apology from you. And I think it simply goes something like this. Hey, team, listen, I am so sorry. I've done a horrible job of setting expectations, but I've got good news. That stops today. And here are going to be the expectations that this team is going to be held accountable to so that we can all be successful and we can start celebrating as a team instead of simply surviving as a unit through these horrible times. Gang, there are people out there that are celebrating as teams right now. There are people thriving in these teams, in our brand and other brands. And they're ones with strong leaders who are setting clear expectations and holding their teams accountable to those expectations so that they can celebrate victories. And there are people out there that want to work. And the people that are out there that want to work, want to work on teams that are successful, have expectations, and have leaders that listen to them and make them part of the solution and aren't simply complaining about things all the time. And I know there's a lot to complain about. I know there's a lot going on out there. I know you don't have one plate and it's overflowing. You've got four plates flying in the air and they're all on fire. I get all of that. You still got to be a leader if this is what you've chosen to do. Sam, we've had two virtual trainings and the listeners have told us they want more. Then that's exactly what we should do. Let's give them virtual training event number three. We'll do it on November 3rd. And you know, Sam, in that one, I think we should talk about effective training tracking and performance coaching just in time for busy season. I love that. Let's stick to that 49 bucks for the two hour event. And to register, you can go to train with BTY.com. You know, Sam, though, how about we give our listeners 10 bucks off if they use the code podcast because I'm feeling generous. I like that. Usually we've given five off, but for this one, let's do 10. It is the Christmas season coming up on us. So we're feeling a little extra generous. Again, that's a $10 discount. Use the discount code podcast. And where can they register, Drew? At trainwithbty.com. That's T-R-A-I-N with B-T-Y.com. Do it today. All right. Welcome back. We are going to do our little book segment today. And I think it's as good a time as any to hear from Burgess Meredith. Books. Books. All the books I'll need. All the books, all the books I'll ever want. This week, we're looking at the book called Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team, written by John U. Bacon, published in 2021. In fact, I think it just came out about six weeks ago. This guy's got 11 or 12 books, a couple of them on leadership, a lot of them on sports. And I don't recall why I chose this book. You didn't choose the book. Did you choose the book? Actually, technically, my wife chose the book. Did she? She saw it. It was uh, John was doing a book signing at Nicola Books, a local Ann Arbor place. The reason he was doing the book signing there is because the high school is Huron High School here in Ann Arbor. Yeah. And it's the bookstore basically right across the street from the the school. And my wife, Jody, saw the book and forwarded it on to me and said, I think you would like this. I said, my gosh, I think I would. And I told you we should do this. And oh my gosh, it's the best book we've read since the Energy Bus. 
It's amazing. So Jody, thank you so much for that recommendation. So let's jump in and talk about the book, shall we? All right. So first off, I love the fact that he talks about having to beat Dexter. Dexter is the little town that Sam and I live in. And it just makes me grin every time, like three or four times in the book. He's like, I, we have to beat Dexter. We have to beat Dexter. I'm like, everybody beats Dexter. <laughs> okay. That was, has nothing to do with leadership. It's just me laughing at every time I have. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't find that as funny being a third generation Dexter, right? And you being a transplant, but um, I'll digress. <laughs> I think what was great about the way the book was formed and was at the beginning of each chapter, there were bullet points about what the chapter was going to be about. And then at the, at the end of each chapter, there were the same bullet points, but they went a little bit deeper. So it was kind of, this is what I'm going to tell you. And then he told you, and then this is what I just told you. So I thought that was, uh, I really liked the way he put the book together. For those of you that are like me that occasionally skim, it was great because if you don't understand hockey, he gets a little bit in the hockey, but not a ton. So don't let that be a barrier here. It, it is literally about how he treats the kids and asks them to do things. And the fact that he says it up front, this is what this chapter is about. Then he relates the fable, which isn't a fable in this case. It's a true story. And then wraps it up at the end. Makes it so easy on those of you that need to skim. It's nicely set up. That said, can we talk about expectations? You know, I think we should because, you know, right off in the introduction, he says, we worked together to change the way we thought, acted, dressed, worked, and performed in that order. He had a vision for turning around America's worst high school hockey team. And if you listen to his podcasts, which he does a podcast on the whole book, he says, and no, that's not a joke. He really was America's worst hockey team. I think the year he took over, they were 0-22-5. I might be wrong on the five, but the 0-22 part is right. So they hadn't won a game in a year when he took over. And he, the reason he wanted to be the coach was that he was uh, a former player himself with Huron. And in fact, he seems to somewhat proudly announce that he is the record holder of the most games dressed with the least amount of goals. And that least amount of goals number was zero. So he goes on to say, so that record will never be broken. Yep, It's the unbreakable record. Yeah. So, you know, he was really, he really wanted to change the way the team thought. And as I was reading the book, I couldn't help to think about his hockey team very being very similar to some stores that may not be performing at a level they want to. And he was facing some odds that I think a lot of our stores are facing. You know, the team was beaten. They were taking pride in, I mean, they were wearing 0 and 22 shirts and, and they had little chance. Their chant was winner, loser, loser, 0 and 22s or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was crazy. So I, I thought that was, that was really important. And then as far as the expectations piece, you know, he said strong sense of belonging that grew from pursuing a shared vision. He was... He was very much into the leadership style that I think Brendan Burchard has talked a lot about. And that's a leadership style of collaboration where you're coming up with goals with your team. It's not the old top down leadership formula that worked well in the 50s, 60s, 70s, somewhat into the 80s, which was 100 years ago. If you want to be a great leader, you got to get your team on board. And I think he really, he really did a good job of that. I like too, because it's about let them lead, but he's very clear in the beginning, they didn't know how to, so he had to do it. And sometimes he didn't step in. He just repeated until they finally met the expectation. 
And the one I liked the most was the exercise when um, they were doing stretching and he wanted the seniors to lead the stretching. And so he explained what the stretch was and that the idea was the seniors would call out all the odd numbers and the rest of the team would call out the evens. And, and it's funny in the book because he just does the whole, this shouldn't be that hard. Seniors go one, everyone else goes two, seniors go three, everyone else goes four. And it took them 90 minutes to do it right. Now, I, I share this, Sam, because a lot of times I talk about in supervising, in the supervisor class, I talk about go fast to go slow or go slow to go fast, that you can walk in and I can tell you what to do because it's going to cut off the whole middle part, but it doesn't mean you're ever going to do it. And he basically says the same thing. I could have stepped in at any point and done it for them, but then they would never do it. And for me, that, that was one of those, like, I love this book. This is, this is so key to what we're doing today kind of moments for me, because I see a lot of that today where instead of saying, no, do it again, no, do it again, no, do it again, image, product, pizzas, whatever, right? The leader comes in and says, you're doing it wrong. I'll just do it for you. And then tomorrow they're just going to do it wrong again. His desire to make sure that they did the little things was based on if we can't do the little things, if we can't count, how can we learn crazy offensive moves in, in, a, in a very skilled game of hockey? And he was just making sure that they understood that we do everything. You know, again, we work together to change the way we thought the way we acted, the way we dressed, worked, and performed in that order. And I think if you've got a Domino's pizza team right now that's not necessarily performing at the level you want them to, you got to think about, first of all, are you leading the way you need to, to lead? Are you leading the way you would want to be led? And if you're not, you've got to change that first. You got to look in the mirror and make sure that you're doing that right. But then you've got to start thinking about things that are going on in the store. And for goodness sake, gang, if your team can't wear the uniform correctly, how can they possibly take over on cutting edge and do that right? Or how can they possibly wow the concern in three easy steps correctly? Or how can they possibly learn how to take an order correctly? If they can't wear the uniform correctly, you've got to start there because that's the basic expectation that the brand has. It's an expectation that's in the standards and it's an expectation that you should be clearly defining for your teams so that when it comes time to follow up on it, it's very simple because you have a simple expectation. And when we talk about the way they dressed, I mean, Drew, you remember this later on in the book, he didn't have to do any of the policing for the way they dressed. The yep. team, the teams were doing it for themselves and the seniors who had gone through an Owen 22 season and started to see things change and started to like what they see started to lead. For me, there was absolutely no skimming in this book. It was a page turner for me. I couldn't put the book down. No, I didn't skim this one either. Amazingly. Yeah. It's, I, just, I found it very easy to read. We've talked about how we like fables. This was a true story. It didn't hurt that it happened you know, right in my backyard that I grew up in, you know, there were references to people I knew, there were references to schools I knew, but most importantly, you know, the leadership message throughout the book, you know, I liked it at the very beginning. You may remember this in the, in the introduction. He said, this is a book on hockey as much as Rocky was a movie about boxing. Yep. Yep. And I just, I thought that was amazing. So he's using the hockey to tell the story of leadership and how these young 
boys turned into young men. One of the things that I thought was really cool is he talks about the picnic he has every year. Yes. The, the bank. Yeah. Well, there's a picnic in the banquet, but yes. Yep. And where most of the players that he coached over the four years he were there come back with their wives and their children's and their children. And he talks about the things that they've gone on to do. So, you know, I, I've always said that I thought one of the greatest things about being a Domino's pizza general manager is that you get to take young boys and girls and turn them into young men and women, and you have an opportunity to shape them into good citizens. You have an opportunity to teach them what a work ethic is, or you have an opportunity to sell them the dream on Domino's pizza and, and let them find great successes in it. Like hopefully you have. So Sam, can I, can I share with you one of my favorite parts of the book? Please do. The introductory chapters where he's laying out what he's walking into and how he lays down his first sets of expectations. It's so key. Like you're listening to his podcast. As soon as you're done, buy the book. And if you read nothing more than the first 40 pages, it'll help you tremendously. And it'll give you the time to read the rest of the book in a couple of weeks. Because he talks about things like, like setting the expectations doesn't mean your entire team quits. This was an 0-23 team with no, no expectations whatsoever. He comes in and he's like, we're going to be the hardest working team in the state. And we're going to start working out over the summer. And no one quit. Everyone showed up because everyone that shows up wants to do a good job. Does that mean on your team, when you start to lay out these expectations, everyone will stay? No. But if they don't, that's okay. They don't want to be on your team. They want easy. And this isn't easy. It can be easier, but this is hard. And that was the other part I loved was, was when he was talking about the Navy SEALs are not the highest paid people on the planet. The Peace Corps does not pay you the best. It's a mission and it's hard. And it's something that when you, you're done, you look back on it with, I was so happy to be there and be a part of it. So make it hard. Make it somewhere that is that not everyone can be a part of your team. Say this, Sam, because I, I taught a class with uh, Chris Slater's group where I went around the stores and we saw all these stores with like now hiring 12 drivers, now hiring 18 drivers. Well, okay, if I need a job, I can't be all 18 drivers. So I'm one of 18. How important could I be? And amazingly, when they took my feedback of just hire for one, because I as an employee can only be one person. So tell everybody you're looking for them. You're looking for that one person. And the amount of stores that were like, oh my gosh, we did it for a week and we had more apps in a week than we've had in the last six. Yeah, because everybody wants to be that person. Everybody wants to be the star. Pick me. I'm the best person. I don't want to be one of a group. I don't want to be, who was it? Amazon, I think, came out this week, Sam, and said they're hiring 190,000 people for the Christmas season. Who wants to be one of 190,000? How important are you? Yeah, not very. In the book. John gets right into we're the worst team in America and we're going to be the team that no one works harder than everyone looks to and says we won by luck this time because that team is that good. They work that hard and it shows and who doesn't want to be a part of that. I think the other thing that was really important in his approach and probably had a lot to do with his success is he told the guys on his team that we weren't going to measure success by wins and losses. He had two rules on his team and rule one was work hard and rule two was support your teammates. And he said, as long as you live up to those two things, I will always be proud of you. And there were a couple of times where they were facing someone that had just walloped them the year before. 
and the game was really close and it looked like they're going to win. And then they lost in the last minute and his team was really down and he came into the locker room and he said, I'm really proud of you. You worked hard and you supported your teammates. And that's what I asked of you. And that's what you did. And he was as supportive of them during losses as he was during wins. And I think I'd go out on a limb too and say that he was more supportive of them during losses than he was in wins. Because much like in the uh, one minute manager, I think it was, correct me if I was wrong on that one, Drew, but he was very much into looking in the mirror when things were going wrong and looking out the window when things were going right. And towards the end, he talks about leadership and he says, if you're going to be a leader, you got to take all the blame and none of the credit. If things go right, the team did it. If things go wrong publicly, it was your fault. Now, privately, you can go back to the team and you can address individual issues and you can do those things. But publicly, anything goes wrong, it's John Bacon. Anything goes right, oh, the team played well. And I think you've got to start doing that inside your pizza stores too. When things go right, it's all about the team. When things go wrong, you've got to take a look in the mirror and see what went wrong and then start to come up with plans to make it better. I love that you talked about that because that was so I, I dog ear my pages. Everything that I like, I, I, I bend the corner on because I can't see a highlighter, but I can see the bent corner and I can jump to that page. I occasionally sticky note, but, but most of the time, I'm not reading where a sticky note is like on a plane. So I, I just dog ear it. And I had that page dog eared because of exactly that, that, that this team, they play Trenton, they lose like, was it 16 to two or something like that? And if you know, hockey 16 to two is the equivalent of like 80 to seven in a football game. Like, like it's a beating and in the locker room, he just asked, did you guys work hard? And they're like, yes, then that's all I can ask. So we lost, we did the best we could. We controlled what we could control. They're a better team. They're more talented. And next year it'll be closer because we'll keep working hard. And, and that messaging, every store has that bad night on that bad night. Do you throw all of your stuff out the window? Do you take all of the stuff you've worked towards and say, doesn't work when we're busy. So we're not going to do that. Or do you buckle down and do you do what you were trained to do? And can you come out and say, okay, this is what we could do a little better next time. And, and that's the difference between the stores and the teams that thrive and the ones that stay in that cycle of victimhood where, oh, uh, you know, until I hire 37 drivers, I'm never going to be able to handle my, my Monday night. It's that mentality of the leader saying, this is what we're going to do. This is how we do it. And win or lose, as long as we follow the play, I'll high five you at the end. Yeah. And I think that's the key. You know, if you look at last Friday night and you didn't get the out the door times you were looking for, or you didn't get the EADT you wanted, or your load times weren't what they want. I think the first question you've got to ask is, did your team work hard and did you support one another? And if you can answer yes to both of those things, and I think John U. Bacon would agree, then the night was a success. And you start looking at the places where you can be a little bit better, or you could work just a little bit harder or, or do whatever it is you need to do to get a little bit better or get a couple more players on the team. But as long as you're working hard and supporting your team members, you've got to make sure that your team knows that you appreciate that. Because when we talk about staffing and Drew couldn't have said this any better, the key to retention is keeping the people you got. So the ones we've got, we've got to make sure that if they went through a bad night and everybody worked hard and they supported each other, we need to make sure that they understand that's all we can ask for. 
That's all we want. Work hard and support your team. I think those two things were really, really important. I've got one more thing I want to touch on in the book. How about you, Drew? No, go for it, Tim. John U. Bacon, one of the things he said before he took over the team was, yes, I've heard today's workies, workers are lazy, sloppy, and selfish. But I'm here to tell you, they want discipline, they want direction, they want to be challenged, and they want to be led. And I'm here to tell you, I see the same things when I visit pizza stores. I keep hearing about how today's workforce is lazy, they're sloppy, they're selfish, they want this, they want that, they want instant recognition. I haven't found that to be the case. I've found them to be extremely hungry for more knowledge, for more skills, to be challenged, to be led. They want to be good. And it's up to us as leaders to give them those challenges, to give them that direction and to lead them. And it starts by setting full-fledged expectations so they know exactly what victory looks like. You know, Sam, I do want to key on one thing before we go. And, and I was thinking this through as, as he was explaining this, that, you know, hockey is the season, right? They only play games for a couple months. And then they have the off season where they practice. And a lot of the practice, some of it's on the ice. But I don't know if you've noticed, but ice is hard to come by in July and August. So a lot of it is weight room and, and what they call dry land because they're, they're not on the ice. If you think to your store, let's, let's be honest, right? A rush isn't every pizza, a rush is the dinner rush, right? We want to get to a place where every pizza is a rush, but we got to start somewhere. So when's your off season? When's your time to practice? When's the time when you have that three-week insider go through five trays of dough so that they can finally stretch right so they can do it correctly during the dinner rush and not impact the customer? When do you practice? And if you don't know, that's cool. Your team's probably not, which means your practice is occurring during the game, which is why it's so hard because it's really hard to get better during a game. Find time to practice. Find time to take that team member aside, to have them do something with your guidance repeatedly, whether it's cheesing or stretching or topping or running or prepping, whatever that thing could be. Find that time to practice because your off season is only a couple hours a day. And if you're not using that as that practice time, your rushes, your on season are more, that much more difficult. Yeah, I love what you just said there. You got to find time to practice. And I can almost hear some of our listeners screaming right now. There is no time to practice. We're busy all the time. <laughs> There's like six stores that are busy all the time. Come on. And <laughs> you know, maybe that's true. Maybe you just don't have enough people on your staff to find that time to practice. Or maybe as the general manager or an assistant manager, you're already working more hours than you want to. And finding time to practice would put on more hours and more stress. So maybe your time to practice is during the game. If you're a sports ball fan at all, I don't think you've seen very many, seen very many coaches not coach during the game or not make adjustments during the game. And I think we've got some opportunities there. If you're side by side with your new pizza maker, You've got time to coach them during the rush. You've got time as they're putting the pizza into the oven to say, hey, man, every bite is a meal. Let's make sure we get those toppings out to the edge so that the customer tastes what they ordered on their very last bite. You've got time to do that. The question is, are you making the choice? 
Are you making the hard choice to do that during the rush? Or are you just nose down into the dough, trying to get through that screen as quickly as you can and forgetting what we're really doing, which is preparing people's meals. We're not simply getting through the end of the screen. We're preparing people's meals. We are creating experiences that should last. We should be humanizing, as Jeremy Hill would say, we should be humanizing every single interaction so it becomes an experience, not a transaction. And if you're saying, yeah, Drew, I, I get that whole practicing, that's great, but I don't have time to practice, then practice during the rush. Use what time you have to get them to be better. And for goodness sake, if you can come up with some dedicated practice time, that's the very best when there's nothing else going on and it can be one-on-one -on -one practice time. You're about to throw three trays of dough out that are expired. Have them stretch it all. Have them do it while you're watching so that you can give them coaching. You've got to find ways to help them get better. And to John's book, Let Them Lead, it doesn't have to be you. It could be a great pizza maker teaching them. It could be a great CSR teaching them how to better handle a customer concern. It doesn't have to be you. You want to get to a point where the entire team is helping each other. And help me remember this, Drew. We talked about everybody on the team should be leading except the freshmen because they're just learning their job. Yep. And it goes into a part where, you know, you hear in all kinds of leadership stuff, you've got to lead by example. I've taken that to the next level, I think. And I say, you can't just lead by example. You've got to lead by a good example. And then John takes it to a completely another level. And that's sophomores. We expect you to lead by example, because that means you're doing your job. And then juniors, it was, you need to do your job and help other people do their job. And then seniors, you've got to do your job, help other people do their job. And he added one more thing that is escaping me right now. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't think of it either. But yes, that was the whole point was it wasn't just leading by example, like leading by example was like the starting gateway. Yeah. And that was for sophomores and seniors was this whole kaleidoscope of leadership. And, and that's why this book is so awesome. Can I just tell a quick story? Please do. I'm in Maine last week and we're, we're part of the BTY visit system is the supervisors pick things they are going to go in and fix. And one of the stores had a food issue because, you know, food prices go up. So it's easier to waste faster and yada, yada, yada. Right. So we go in and we're, and of course the solution is we have to use scales because that's what every solution is when it comes to food <laughs> problems. It seems. And so I'm working with this gentleman on the make line and cheese was the number one issue waste in this store. The gentleman I'm working with, He's, he's trying to cheese and he's using one hand and it's taken him like, like uh, 30 seconds of pizza. I'm like, dude, come on. You gotta, gotta go faster. Please God, go faster. Please God, go faster. And so I had some fun with him and said, okay, can you do something for me? And he's like, okay, what? I'm like, every time you hit the correct ounce on this pizza, what I want you to do, I'm like you ever hear Ric Flair? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, I can totally do that. So he's like, woo. I'm like, no, 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 it's gotta be louder. Like I want you, I want them to hear it outside. And he's like, all right. So the next pizza, he literally hits the right amount and he goes, woo. Within 30 minutes, every team member in the store wanted to weigh out cheese and woo. You know, you're going to hear us say this in the interview a little bit later with Margaret and John mentions this in the book. It seems like every successful team has got something that from the outside looks stupid or silly or why are you making a fool of yourself and going woo when you weigh the cheese from the outside looks silly and stupid, but oh my goodness, here's another story of where people see something and they want to be a part of it. 
because they're doing something yep. crazy. And what's really challenging, and you know, I found this in my development as a facilitator, that it's very difficult to try new things because you're always worried about what people are going to think. But it seems like every time I try something new, I feel better after I've done it. People are more engaged in the learning. You know, you, you had this guy, woo, in the store and now everybody wants to do it. Get out of your comfort zone, gang. That's where the learning really starts to happen. And that's where your teams are going to start to lead. And I think, you know, as you go through the book and, and John is very clear about it, I, I did everything that conventional wisdom told me not to do. And they said that I had to coddle the players and go to their every whim and not hold them accountable to product, service, or image. And yet I set very high standards and nobody left the team. And we went from 0-22, the worst in the nation, to I think he said he was 51st in the country and fourth or fifth in the state and competing with the best teams all the time. And you've got to set standards if you want to be great. And if you don't want to be great, I'm just going to say it. What are you doing? What are you doing if you don't want to be great? All right, Sam, we have we have really talked about this book for a while now. So let's put it out. Where Where is this book going, Sam? So for this one, for me, obviously absolutely no possible way it's going in the donation bin. I don't see this one sitting on my shelf anytime soon. I think for the next couple of days, it's going to be on my desk because I want to go through a couple of the passages again. But for me, this one is not only going to be in the backpack, but I'm going to, if I can do something special for the listeners, uh, one of the coaches that was with John was actually a high school classmate of mine. So I'm trying to make a connection with the author. And I'm going to try to get uh, 10 to 20 autographed copies of the book for our listeners. So it will be in my backpack and I'll be giving this one out because I think it's just a fantastic read. The story is marvelous, but more importantly, the message about leadership is terrific. How about you, Drew? Where are you putting this one? Well, I don't have a connection to the author. So I, do I get a couple of those autographed books or, or are you just going to hold out on me? Well, yours is going to be the first one, Drew. Oh, I usually don't put books in my backpack because they're heavy. It would weigh too much. It would weigh too much. But this is totally one of those books that I I am uh, probably going to end up putting in my backpack as I start to list like like rank the books that we've talked about. Energy Bus is way up there because more and more, if you don't have that positive attitude and uh, an idea where you're going, you're going to go nowhere. And this book is a hard second, like. Like we can talk about squawk, but this seems to be like a newer, better squawk because it's not about birds and it's not the cute fable. It's a true story, real examples and real results. And I, I huge fan in the book, pass it out, ship it out. And for those that want to get it, it's right on my homepage. There's a link to the book. And if you buy it from there, it puts a couple of pennies in our pocket and helps us pay for this podcast that Amazingly to me, people are just out of the blue saying they like. So that's fantastic. At the time of this taping, we're now over 11,000 downloads. So we couldn't be happier about that. Go to the homepage and it's right there and you can order it from Amazon and you'll have it in a day or two. And it's just a fantastic read. Right. With that, Sam, I think it's time to do your favorite segment, Haken. Take it away, Liam. I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I've acquired over a very long career. So Sam, what is it you're taking from the stores? This came from my recent trip to California and you said it today and you've said it before. And that is sometimes you've got to go slow if you want to go fast. 
And one of the participants in the world's fastest pizza maker was actually a supervisor. And I pulled him aside after the first round and he had made it to the second round. And I said, tomorrow, I don't want you to win. I want you to make perfect pizzas because as a supervisor, you shouldn't be the fastest pizza maker in your organization, but you should absolutely exemplify perfect pizzas. So he looked at me and he's like, yeah, that makes sense. I can do that. So we get to the next day and I was the judge. I wasn't the timekeeper and I'm watching him and it looks to me like he's going slower and he made much better pizzas the second day than the first day. And lo and behold, his time was faster than the day before with no penalties and just amazing pizzas. And he ended up winning. And it was funny when, when the last competitor had gone and he actually had the fastest time, even though I told him, I want you to go slow and make perfect pizzas, which he consciously did. He looked at me like he thought I was going to pull him outside and yell at him for winning. It was hilarious. That's awesome. But I looked at him and I said, I just Jedi mind tricked you. I said, I wanted you to focus on quality because when you do things right the first time, you don't have to spend time fixing them. So you made better pizzas today than you did yesterday. And yet you went faster today, even though you were trying to go slower. And he, he, just, he just stood there for like 30 seconds. And he looked at me and goes, oh man, wow. And I just think it's so important if we teach our folks how to do things right then the speed will come naturally. Whereas if you're trying to get them to go fast, they're going to make mistakes and it's going to take longer because they're going to have to fix things. So my take in is just a, a carryover on what Drew says so often is, and that is sometimes you got to go slow if you want to go fast, because if you don't have time to do it once, you certainly don't have time to do it twice. So my take in, I want you, the listener, to build on what you're hearing today. Take something and make it yours. And if it's goofy, it doesn't matter. Make it into a mantra in the store, whether it's John's work hard, work for the team, support the teammates. That's it. Work hard. So anytime they had a bad day, did you work hard? Yes. Well then say it like work hard and like do something, whether it's, it's every time you weigh out something and it hits the number you want, you woo like Ric Flair, right? Do something that the outside world might look at you and go, well, that's kind of kooky because you know what? That's going to have people apply. You're going to pull people in who want to be on your team because they look at that and go, oh, that looks kind of fun. So let your freak flag fly and do something fun for your team that is repetitive, that doesn't make them go, oh my God, he's making us do it again, but makes them go, oh my gosh, he's making us do it again. Let's go. Let's go. I think that's amazing what you just said, Drew. And I'm just going to build on it just a little bit. And I'm going to do a name drop for you too. I think when you choose one thing that you're going to make yours, don't worry about going from where you are today to where you want to be next year. What you should be looking for is incremental, sustainable improvement so that you can be better than yesterday. And if you continue to do that, if tomorrow is always better than yesterday was, a year from now, you're going to be in an amazing place and, you know, just one hit back to the book. I mean, it took him years to take the team from where they were to where they wanted to be. And it was sustainable, incremental improvement that helped them get to where they want to be. So, Drew, great take. And I love it. But let's hear from our sponsors. 
Sam, we've had two virtual trainings and the listeners have told us they want more. Then that's exactly what we should do. Let's give them virtual training event number three. We'll do it on November 3rd. And you know, Sam, in that one, I think we should talk about effective training, tracking, and performance coaching just in time for busy season. I love that. Let's stick to that 49 bucks for the two hour event. And to register, you can go to trainwithbty.com. You know, Sam, though, how about we give our listeners 10 bucks off if they use the code podcast because I'm feeling generous. I like that. Usually we've given five off, but for this one, let's do 10. It is the Christmas season coming up on us. So we're feeling a little extra generous. Again, that's a $10 discount. Use the discount code podcast. And where can they register, Drew? At trainwithbty.com. That's T-R-A-I-N with B-T-Y.com. Do it today. All right. I think it's time for us to talk to our fabulous guests. So let's start with a little Stevie. Our guest this episode comes to us from last episode's guest, Stephanie Sigwald, because Stephanie told us she wasn't a trainer and that we had to talk to the trainers in the group. So I reached out to Margaret Jackson of RPM Pizza and said, Margaret, why don't you come on the podcast? And she said, oh, no, I don't do podcasts. So we talked for a couple of minutes and then she said, I'll totally do this. This would be awesome. And here are the results of that awesome conversation. And welcome to this fabulous podcast of Drew and Sam Talk Training. This is our first time, Sam, that you and I are joined by two guests. Yeah, it is. And uh, Mm -hmm. we're pretty excited about that. Actually, it's not. It's our second time. Remember our live taping in St. Louis? Oh, we did have the live taping with with Dan and Emily, but Dan and Emily are not two separate people. They're actually (laughs) two people that think the same way and share the same brain. These are actually two separate people. But at least I'm assuming they're going to tell us that they're two separate people. But that's true. And there's a third one in spirit. So this is our first time with three guests. Three guests. But we're only going to talk to two. So let's start with the first guest. Hi, Margaret Jackson. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Drew. How are you? I am fantastic. And Brooke Fleming, you're joining us as well. How are you doing today? Doing great. All right. I usually start the interviews off with the fabulous first question of tell us your story. So Margaret, why don't you start? What is your domino story? How is it you come to us today? So I am one of the few who did not start in the stores with Domino's. I actually came to Domino's via another quick serve restaurant that I'd worked with on. They were on the franchisor side um, and had the opportunity to join RPM in 2018. Best move ever. It's been a great ride. Uh, Training is the passion. And so I love the fact that there is such a focus on training. And I think one of the coolest things that we have the opportunity to do is we get to develop people's skills and provide them with a career path. And that's something really special. And actually, I think it's funny. I was just thinking about this today. When I first started with RPM, I did want to learn the stores. And so I had the opportunity to go in and work in a couple of stores around the resource center. And I actually went and trained with Brooke. She taught me how to make pizzas. Yep. <laughs> yep, and Margaret gave me a pin at the end. <laughs> and look at us now. We get to work together in the training team. So Brooke balances out us our operational skills because she was she's done it all. 
I, uh, so I started about seven and a half years ago now, and I started as a driver and moved up pretty quickly to an assistant manager and then stayed there for about five years. And then I promoted to a general manager and was, um, a GM for about a year. And I moved into training about 11 months ago, almost a year now. Yay. Yeah. So I've always been in stores. And so I like, I like that I, my side of training is very operations focused and I get to spend a lot of time with team members in pizza college and get into stores and stuff like that. So I really like that brings me back. So let's get into that a little bit. I mean, we were told by Stephanie that she's not in training and that the only way we could talk to Stephanie was to talk to the actual trainers who are in training because she's not in training for our listeners who aren't maybe familiar with RPM size or scope, Margaret, and then Brooke, could you tell us what it is you do for RPM? So um, I am the director of training and development for RPM. We have about 175-ish stores and our, our managers do the, the training in the stores around, you know, running shift and, and training team members on customer service and service as a whole. And then my role is more on the leadership development side of it. So our manager development, as well as our DM development and our director development as well. So I work um, a little more closely with assistant managers. And so I teach pizza college classes. My title is training manager. I get to go into stores and try to identify shortcomings that we have in team member development. I, I give a lot of feedback to supervisors, district managers, stuff like that, and really try to motivate our team members to develop their own skills and then kind of see the value in training their team. But I work really closely with assistant managers and then general managers as well. And then we have our phantom member of our team who's not here with us today. That's Megan. And Megan focuses primarily on content, but she's been with RPM for, I believe, 11 years. And then we have Stephanie, who is not an official member of the training team, but she is more of our liaison because Stephanie knows everything that is happening in Domino's and she shares that. which is helpful so that we can kind of game plan on how we can all work together to accomplish things. But I don't know why she doesn't. Um, yeah. Stephanie is very creative and innovative. That's awesome. And not a trainer. <laughs> and, and not a trainer. But that's why we <laughs> like to partner with Stephanie because she's kind of fun. There you go. She likes sparkles. We like sparkles. It all works. Wow. That's awesome. So Brooke, <laughs> back to the, uh, the pizza college, what kinds of curriculum are you teaching your AMs? How often do they get to get in a classroom or how often do you get in the stores? If I were an AM for RPM, how often would I see and what kinds of things would you be teaching me? So it really, they kind of choose their own pace to go through pizza college. So there's no set, you know, it takes six months to come through. Some of them come through in three months and some of them, it takes two years. It depends on you know, the speed that they want to go at, where they want to end up, things like that. We hold classes a couple of times, well, a few times a month, but it's not the same class every time. So we have four levels in pizza college. And um, so someone could come through in four months and see a whole lot of me in a short amount of time. And then very little of me for a long time. We hold them really regularly and we try to give people, you know, opportunities to move it at their own pace. But we also encourage the general managers and district managers to 
kind of keep tabs on them and they have to evaluate them before they come and make sure that that they're ready for the content that's covered in that class. It varies depending on what level we're at. You know, in our in our senior classes, we'll walk through scheduling and we talk about P&Ls and we talk about bonus and a lot of leadership skills and giving feedback, goal setting, action planning is a, a common yeah, thread. A lot, to all a lot on action planning these days. Who, what, when is important. <laughs> right. Trying to get people to think through to the root of, of whatever problem they're having. Nice. Because I feel like that helps them solve, you know, if you teach someone to correctly problem solve, instead of teaching them how to solve whatever's going on, they can solve anything. So they're, they're set up for success for the rest of their career, really through that. That's a strong approach. I really like that. When it comes to pizza college, you know, obviously with 175 stores, you've got some geography to deal with. Is Pizza College a campus or is Pizza College mobile and you go to the learners? So we, <laughs> it depends on the level. <laughs> it does. So uh, for our first two levels, we, we call them freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. Because it's college. College. <laughs> and so for freshman and sophomore, we have training centers in all of our markets. And so we have certified trainers. So it could be a member of our field training team. It could be a district manager, someone who has learned how to present content from us and who we feel is giving the right message. And so they're, they're certified to teach classes. And so for freshmen and sophomore, no one usually has to drive more than maybe an hour to get there. For junior and senior, we in the South, because RPM has a South piece and then a a Midwest piece. And so there's a resource center in both because we're also in Indianapolis and Michigan. And that's not realistic to have them come to Gulfport. In February, it's completely realistic. (laughs) (laughs) They would go to one of the two main resource centers and, and that lets them kind of put names with faces. They get to meet people who they've probably emailed with and had to communicate with to solve problems in their store. And then they get to see kind of like the hub of things. So for junior and senior, they do they do come to Gulfport. And so we have people who drive, you know, six hours to come to Pizza College. So for those two, it is it's a campus. But for the first two, we try to kind of come to them a little bit more and, and ease them into that. And those are much more basic skills. And it's really because it's more around the store activities. We found that having a DM or one of our field trainers teach that freshman or sophomore class it's around how to run a shift or how to how to do a self OER. They have they have the stories. Right. So that's really helpful when they're teaching. Um, but that was something and, and Brooke talked about, like having the certified trainers. That was really an important piece that we had to correct. You know, at one time, any DM could teach a, a class and we have amazing DMs, but every DM strength isn't isn't facilitating and teaching a class. And so once we recognized that and we started doing certified trainer classes that were less around how to build a PowerPoint and more around how to engage the room, we've got we got so much feedback, positive feedback from folks about, you know, wow, like the team members are getting so much more because the folks who were teaching the classes, they really liked doing it. So <laughs> that's kind of a thing. <laughs> Amazing when you like what you're doing, you do I it know, better, right? Crazy. <laughs> Let's talk about today. Yes. I don't know if you've noticed, but there seems to be a lot of mumbling about staffing shortages today. Yes. And what I've found is when folks say they're short staffed, then they tend to hire whoever, barely train them because they're so short staffed. 
which usually means folks don't want to attend a class because I can't spare them for the class. So how is it you guys are getting through that? Are you seeing that? How are you dealing with the training and staffing issue? We actually haven't seen much of a dip in the number of attendees coming to class this year compared to last year, compared to 2019. But some of that is because when you come to class, you get a pay increase. Folks are figuring out how to make that work. And we also offer the classes on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when it's typically easier for our stores to staff because the the volume is a little lower. We have seen challenges and, and Brooke can speak to this the most. You know, the the mental state of our team is definitely in a different place. You know, there when you go and visit stores, the culture is suffering a little bit because our the folks who are working are kind of, you know, they're burned out because they're working a lot. And so, you know, what we what we really decided to do is we started looking at, you know, who are our stores and we use turnover as a measurement. So part and that's measured on the store's scorecards. It's also something, I mean, we get a report every week, a turnover report that we take a look at as well. But we we looked at that information to see who are our stores with the lowest turnover and, and what are they doing that might be a little different than, than some of our high turnover locations. And I think a lot of it is it all went down to the culture of the store and, and the GM's attitude around it all. And so, you know, as we started talking to folks, we started to hear kind of the same thing from all of these folks. So first of all, interviewing matters. And so, you know, what you're asking in the interviews is a part of it, but also that the person who's conducting the interviews is trained to do interviews. And then during that interview process, really setting a a good, clear picture of what the expectation was in the store. And even some of that, I was just talking to someone the other day, who said, you know, they had to change some of the questions and the picture that they were painting to the folks they were interviewing because our customers just aren't as nice as maybe they've been in the past. And they wanted to be upfront about that during the interview that, you know, this is some of the stuff that that you might encounter. We're going to help you through that. But I just, you know, we want to be transparent on what that looks like. And so, you know, interview is important. And then that first day experience is super critical. And then, you know, you think about the group that we're hiring, a lot of them, it's their first job. So if they get their schedule and they don't like it, rather than going and speaking to the manager, they just don't show up anymore. So it really became apparent that our managers had to take extra steps to ensure that the folks that they were hiring, that they were communicating to them you know, more than ever to make sure, are you good? Do you feel like you got the training that you needed? Do you have, is this the schedule that you expected? Just really kind of taking the extra time to do all of that. Now, again, I mean, talking to these folks, they're frustrated. They recognize that they don't have, you know, as many people, but they made the choice that I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to not do these things because of the situation I'm in, because the only way I'm going to get out of this situation is if, if as I do these things. And so that's kind of, you know, where we've gone. And now, you know, we've included that kind of information in our pizza college classes. And we have conversations where we ask the team members in the room. And, you know, last week we asked, you know, tell us about your first day experience. And, you know, you've got those that have the horror stories. I started during rush. Nobody talked to me. I had to answer the phone. A it customer was a Super Bowl. Me. <laughs> it was, I mean, Exactly. And so then you still, you know, but what are you doing different? And we got some really great insight. I mean, one of the managers um, in class talked about for her first week, she hired in as a driver. And for her first week, 
the manager that checked her out never said a word to her. Oh my. And so she said, you know, now that I'm a manager, I make it an extra point when I'm checking my drivers out. I talk to them, you know, how was your day? You know, how's everything going? Did you know that you made this amount in tip today? So, you know, just pointing out, you be the change. So if you had a bad experience, what can we do to make it better for the next folks? And that group, I mean, they were like rocking it out on, you know, just the insight, just from their own experiences and what they were doing differently moving forward. So I feel like that was a win. Yeah, I I feel like we're seeing it it feels like there's a little bit of a shift around. It's it's kind of like people are starting to realize, you know, 19 months into COVID, we're starting to realize that lowering the standard, hiring whoever, letting people get away with things because you're afraid to lose people isn't the answer. And the people who haven't lowered their standards, the people who have continued to hold people accountable are the ones who are more staffed than others. I don't think anyone's comfortably staffed right now. I don't think anyone in the world is comfortably staffed right now, but it's, it's a mentality shift. It seems that the ones who are lowering their standards are beginning to realize this isn't working. Let's jump all over that for a second, Brooke. When you talk about the folks that aren't lowering their standards, are the ones that are doing better with staffing. Drew and I have talked at length about the importance of setting high expectations from the beginning. And exactly what you said, Margaret, there's got to be a competent interview and you've got to ask questions to make sure that this person's going to be a good fit for your team. And more importantly, that your team is going to be a good fit for them. I like to tell people when I'm teaching interviewing that the interview should be a two-way process. And if we're not a good fit for them, they will never be a good fit for us. And I think that's important. And to tell them what's going on. And one of the things you said was, you know, people are telling them about the customers today. And I think some of my clients who are less in the stores now, because that's just kind of the way Domino's has become. The franchisees are running the business and building stores and doing all these great things. And they're not in front of the customers as much. And you tell them some of the stories that are going on and they're just horrified. What kinds of strategies are you giving your team members to handle today's customers? Because, you know, simply saying rule number one, the customer is always right when they're not look back at rule or rule number two, when they're not go back to rule number one. I mean, that just doesn't fly today. I, I I think I said that once about 18 months ago in a workshop and people just looked at me and said, dude, you're out of touch. And, you know, I don't say that anymore. I give them different strategies. What kinds of things are you doing to help them along with that? We, I think Margaret has a better answer than I would, but I did, you just reminded me of something that I heard one of our field trainers say a few weeks ago when something like this came up in in a pizza college class. He said, you know, is the customer always right? No. Are we always wrong? You know, is the, the, whoever is providing the service, are we always wrong? No, but it's always our problem. And so we always have to fix it. Whether we were wrong or not, it's our issue because if we lose if we lose the sales, that affects us. That doesn't affect the customer. And so I thought that was that was a great way to put that. You know, it's not always our fault, but it's always our problem and it's always our responsibility to fix it. I like that a lot. I had a um, a district manager in a customer service workshop say, the customer's not always right, but it's always our job to fix it. But more importantly, if we just fix it, we don't have to deal with them as long. That that it takes much, le- much less energy and much less time to just give them what they want and get on with our lives. And I found that that 
that message is really resonating well with today's frontline team members. It's not so much we want you to do it because it's the right thing. We want you to do it because it'll make your life easier and less stressful and you won't have to deal with Karen for as long. We've I mean, we've always been really fortunate at RPM. I mean, Glenn's philosophy has always been to do, you know, to take care of that customer. And he's, you know, no question about it. Do what you need to do. But we're also really fortunate here because we do have a safety and security director by the name of James Virgil. And James started, he recognized early on that this was an issue and he really started promoting doing some de-escalation training. And I think that that's also been really helpful. So we do that as a part, we, we do an annual safety class every year that every, every person in the company has to go through. And it includes things that are relevant to, you know, driver safety. It talks about, you know, like safety in the stores. We do some culture training, but we also added a section in that around de-escalation. So all of our new team members, will they'll go through that as a part of their new team member onboarding through the learning hub. But then we also added that into our pizza college classes. It started out, we have a GMITO general manager and training class. And so initially it was, a, it was brought in and James comes and presents about that and just talks about the importance of you know, really having empathy towards the customer. You know, along with that, we redid, we had creating smiles video where it kind of just shows through video, you know, you don't know what's going on in someone's life. So, you know, just always remember that and, and, you know, if do what you can to take care of them, bottom line. But then with the the de-escalation training, we had it in GMIT and we're like, you know, we don't need to wait until folks are about to get their own store to talk about this stuff. So then, you know, we kind of did our own version of it. It's not quite as detailed as James puts together, but definitely hits on some of those those things just to better prepare our team members to handle those situations. And so in, in putting all that together, I was like, you know, we need to find a video of a bad customer. That way people can kind of talk about it. So no one from Domino's, but from another quick serve restaurant, it was to the extreme. But I mean... Customers be crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, you can watch. It didn't have sound because you got to be careful with the sound on some of those videos because it is not PG. And so we, we found one without the sound, but just the mannerisms, like you mm-hmm. could watch people's body language and you could see how just because of the way that someone, you know, went this way or put a hand up or did a point that suddenly like things were escalating to a place where it was more and more difficult to fix it. It's tough for our team right now. We had a, a customer complaint came through and, you know, we were listening to the call because, you know, of course the customer's version is sometimes very different. And either way, the customer's version is going to be different than the team member's version. And then when you hear the call and holy moly, I've been in restaurant retail for a long time and it's different. It's it's really, really difficult right now. I know I... I worked, I mean, I came out of operations, like I said, almost a year ago now. So I missed the worst of it. And I used to struggle hard anyway with that stuff. But our safety and security director, James, has a police background. So I think that is like, (laughs) that's the best possible person. Like if I can think of, I can't think of anyone better for de-escalation than a police officer. That's awesome. I'm a huge fan of de-escalation. I, I try and do it with my children who are now grown adults as well. So let's not get into that though. This is about training. You mentioned turnover. I have found as I talk with clients, everyone's, everyone's saying how they're short-staffed, 
how they need more people, and yet very few are actually tracking turnover. So can you tell me more about how you track turnover, how you report turnover? So we have a couple of different turnover reports. So I don't actually do the calculations. We have this guy by the name of Elijah, who is a a calculator, Excel whiz, but he puts all the data together and he provides it to us. So we look at it in different ways. So our, our managers are all measured and bonused off of their scorecard. And so turnover is included on their scorecard and their turnover is for their entire store over a rolling 52 week period. And so depending on where that turnover percentage lies, it's connected to a a rating. So, you know, if you're at this percentage, you're a three star, you know, as your turnover goes down, your star rating goes up. We also get a report every week that is on, you know, I guess it's it's a the, the numbers are calculated slightly differently. It's over a 13 period, but, you know, it's the per period. It's, a, it's an average of previous periods. It's not over an exact 52-week time frame. But anyways, in this report, it's broken down by position. So we can see what our GM turnover is, what our AM turnover is, what our CSR turnover is, what our driver turnover is. So we look at a couple of different things. You know, our focus most recently was really around our AM turnover because we were seeing that, you know, a couple of years ago, we were, we weren't holding on to our AMs. And so that was a hole for us, especially when we were trying to grow into more stores. So for the past couple of years, we really focused on AM turnover. And our way to do that was through Pizza College. And that's when we kind of did our revamp around Pizza College. We took it less on technical and did more on leadership skills. And through that, you know, we started to see our turnover actually went down significantly in AMs from 2019 to 2020 and by, you know, significantly almost 20 points, which is especially during that time. And that helped us, I think, a lot during COVID because we did have, you know, we did have some AM strength in our stores to help our GMs through. And we saw in the areas that we had more AMs, obviously our GMs were better able to manage that business. Can, can we just pause there for a second? Because it, it's, it's math on a podcast. So let me just help out for those that are listening. A 20 point reduction in turnover literally means if, if you guys had NAMs, two stayed where normally those two would leave. Now, the assumption is over those 10, you're probably still losing three or four anyway, right? So I still lose three or four, but some of you might be losing six or seven. I mean, if you look at, I mean, for restaurant standard, I believe turnover is, I mean, if you're under a hundred, you're doing really, really well. (laughs) And so, you know, with, with our AM and our GM, we're doing really, really well. But then when you start digging into our CSR and our driver, that's where our challenges are right now. And so, um, you know, as we, and that's why I really appreciate that Elijah does not only the total store turnover, but also we can break it down and really dig into, you know, where are we losing people the most? And so, you know, in those areas, you know, we are over a hundred and that's tough. That means that, you know, you're turning, you know, on averages, your store over. So every CSR that you have today, you're going to lose them all and then some. And so, you know, we have to figure out, well, what can we do differently on that? And so, you know, for next year, we're really looking at, you know, what can we do differently, especially when it comes to our driver and our CSR turnover. And I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, we have, we use the learning hub and we have some really good training 
available, but that's not going to keep somebody. You know, we really need to figure out how do we engage with people more because that's what is going to keep somebody. (laughs) Before Sam, Sam, before you jump in again, let me, let me just help the listeners from a math standpoint, 125% turnover would mean if I have four drivers, I flip all four drivers in the year. And one of those I hire, I flip them as well. That's scary. It's got, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a burger place. Exactly. All right, Sam. You got to stop flipping so many people. So, so I like the fact that you identified that you had a huge opportunity with AMs. My question would be, how did you determine that less technical training and more leadership or soft skill training was what they needed? What were, what were the deciding factors to go that route? Because I couldn't agree more. I'd just like to know how you came about it. We actually, we went to the DMs and we went to the GMs and asked them. So when talking to them about, you know, what is it that, that you're missing on your, your AMs? And that's what they were telling us. And then if you dig in a little bit more, it doesn't, I mean, you think about, you try to teach someone how to, to create a schedule in a pizza college class. You're using phantom people on a phantom store and you spend 10 hours on it because it's a nightmare trying to, because, you know, there's all these, uh, these moving parts involved. So you spend all this time and then you send that team member back to the store. And what have they learned? They learned that they hate making the schedule. That's what they learned. Whereas, you know, now we set it up to where before team members come to senior class, they have to have demonstrated that that can, that they can create a schedule because it's better for them to learn how to make the schedule in the store with their manager, with, with their volume, with their team members. And then when they come to us, we're going to talk to them about what are you looking out to make sure that that's the best schedule that you can make? You know, are you using this report? Are you, are you looking at your, we use SPLH, you know, do you know what your, what your percents are around that? Like, so more on, you know, in the action planning part of it. So we found by doing that, our, our managers were retaining more and they were able and also allowed us to do more um, discussion and case studies. Brooke does a lot of case studies where she'll pull information together and then break the room into groups and they'll have to have conversations about it and then present that to the rest of the group. And so by doing that, like, because we do do surveys at the end of our classes. And of course, you know, Pizza College is fun. I mean, they're out of their store. We feed them well. We do the cheer. We play games. So, you know, our ratings have typically been pretty good, um, but they continue to get better when we made these kinds of adjustments. And then the feedback that we were getting from the district managers and the general managers about the motivation of their AMs and what they were coming back with. That was how we kind of measured, you know, something that I think that our group is pretty good at is we make decisions based on the end user needs. And so we have a lot of, of DMs of GMs and even AMs that we rely on to get feedback to kind of guide us along the way, along with, you know, what we're measuring ourselves to. I mean, obviously if we do something and we don't get the desired results, we can't continue down that path forever, no matter how much fun it is. So that's always, that's also a thing. That's fantastic. Drew, what do you got? I love the fact that you guys are looking at what you're doing. So here's, here's the question I have for you. I know from past work with RPM that you guys track a whole lot of stuff. Are you tracking how long your team members are actively training, whether it's a CSR driver and AM, like how long are they on learning hub or how long are they in class? 
So we do track her driver training. We look at that more so because our drivers can't come out of, they can't be unlocked until they've completed their training. CSR has been a challenge for us. And that's something that we're going to spend a little bit more time on for next year because we just haven't figured out the incentive or how to impress upon folks that training for CSRs is important. And then how do you track the hands-on side of it? So there's still some pieces that we need to figure out because we also, we, we like the 70 2010 model. And so thinking about, you know, it's only 10% and and this comes up all the time, folks, you know, everything, you know, folks aren't doing this, you know, we need to put it in pizza college. Well, pizza college is 10% of how they're going to learn it. So, you know, where is it being modeled outside of pizza college? And so, you know, that's, that's something that we're challenged with is how do we measure that? We don't track all of that. Elijah doesn't have a report on the time spent. We do have a pretty good idea of, of the time spent on the, the 10% anyways um, of their training. It's just how do we figure out the, the rest of it? So Margaret, for our listeners, tell us about the 70-20-10 model, what that is for those that aren't familiar with it. Sure. So it's a model, it's a training model that when someone is learning something new, you would want to chunk it into 70-20-10. So 10% is formal learning. That would be in our world, the learning hub or pizza college classes. And then 20% would be that peer coaching. So coaching guides from the, from the learning hub, that would be the 20% where you pair someone up. They have a guide on the side who's giving them feedback throughout or they're you know watching someone do something. But where people really get it all is in the 70%, which is the on the job. But that doesn't just mean that you go let someone go on their merry way and just do their deal. They'll have to continue to give them feedback. But if you think about, you know, for someone who is new to something and let's say you let them go and do it themselves and then you touch base with them and perhaps they did something incorrectly, what they learn when they do something wrong, but then you give them feedback on how to do it correctly, that's just the best. Folks never forget that stuff. So what I hear you saying is watch 10 minutes of video, practice with me next to you for 20. Yep. And then practice on your own for 70. But it's not like I've left. I'm just a little bit further away. Yes. That's amazing. Don't you love that? I feel like I feel like we've heard this someplace before, perhaps in the the same room. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I didn't maybe, make just it up. maybe. <laughs> no, no. And I'm fairly certain I mentioned it probably on podcast episode three, Sam. Oh so. my goodness. And I didn't even listen to po- podcast three yet. It, Man, like we're it. like this, wow. right? You got some homework to do, Margaret. <laughs> no kidding, right? I got stuck on the purple dishwasher. Um, yes, I like Purple I, monkey dishwashers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody gets stuck on purple monkey dishwashers. <laughs> This is Drew and Sam Talk Training, and we've had a lot of guests on, and very few have actually talked about having a training culture. You guys seem to have an actual training culture. It's probably not something you stand up and say, we have a training culture, but you actually have training for everything and for everyone, and it seems like you follow up on it. I assume if you follow up on it, there's good behavior. When you do the training, there's probably some reward. And if they don't do the training, there's probably some stick in the background as well. So could you tell our audience how you guys reward for attending training and what happens 
or if they choose not to attend, what may happen? Well, as far as rewarding, I mean, obviously there's when you attend training, you get a promotion and then you get a pay increase. So there's that. And if you don't, then you don't. Um, but <laughs> I like how you said that together. That was spectacular. If you don't attend training, then you don't. That. <laughs> but some of the things and, you know, Brooke has done a really great job with interjecting some special things into training. When folks graduate from senior class, I mean, she does extra things like people go nuts for swag. And I know you're probably talking about bigger stuff, but it doesn't have to be the big stuff, right? So socks. The socks fly off the show. (laughs) I mean, we can't keep enough of them. (laughs) But she also writes them a note. And I think that that's so special. So she'll sit down and she'll write every single one of them a personalized note congratulating them on their training. And then like you play music, like graduation. We have a ceremony. We dim the lights. We play the graduation march. They get a diploma. They get a little swag bag with the card and and they get my business card, their new manager polo because they get to wear a different color once they graduate senior. They get called up independently and... They throw their little visor. It's a, it's a whole thing. It's, a, <laughs> it's an ordeal. Yes. But they really love that. And it takes, I mean, that day, it takes 10 minutes. And it takes a, a little longer to put their stuff together. But but they love that. And then it, it, it sends them back motivated to give somebody in their store a somewhat similar experience and make a big deal about somebody else accomplishing something. And if one person does that that hour and a half that I spent writing cards that just paid for itself. So, you know, I think if you were to walk up to any of the typical people in our age group or the people that we're hiring and said, Hey, listen, you're going to go to class. There's going to be a graduation ceremony. You're going to flip your visor. You're going to get a certificate. They probably look at you and go, well, that's stupid. But once they're there and they're a part of it, and now they feel like they're part of a team, I I just got to believe that that's a huge part of how you solved your retention problem with AMs. I mean, it just sounds fantastic to be a part of that, of that goofy little celebration. It definitely, I think little things make a huge difference. And then, you know, thinking on like a a little bit past that with our GMs, you know, we haven't always done a great job with bench strength planning. And so something that we've really tried to focus on this week, I mean, this week, this year is. It um, feels like this week. I know, right? (laughs) Our our district managers have one-on-ones with their GMs every period. And so as a part of that one-on-one, we've asked them to start filling out a bench strength form where they rank their AMs. And then they also have to include what's their plan to, to further develop each AM. And it's, it's taken some time to get people and we're still not exactly where we want to be on that. But is what we're starting to see is again, you know, the stores that, that take a little bit more time and focus a little bit more on that that development oftentimes do see better results on scorecards or P&Ls or some of those other, you know, KPIs that are probably going to put more money in their pocket. Again, we still have a lot of work to do. A lot of these are, you know, we're in stage one and we still need to get to stage 10 to be exactly where we want to be. But I always feel like you got to start somewhere. So these are some of the things that we've started in our Midwest group. They do a uh, bench planning with their DMs and their DOs, their directors. 
And they've that that's that's been really good conversations. I feel like we need to merge them together. So, you know, our entire group is, you know, the DMs are getting the information from the GMs to then present it to the directors just to allow us to to really, you know, have a a really good thumb on exactly where folks are and who our our next rock stars are going to be. And then, you know, again, they're doing all these studies about everything. And obviously you can't keep paying people more money to do certain jobs. And when it really gets down to, I mean, we have people who they leave us because somebody down the street is offering more money and then they come back because the pizza sauce is in their veins and they realize it's not just about the money. So what can we do to make it not just about the money? I think that's really, really important. I mean, so many people are are chasing the the more money, more money, more money, and they think that's the solution. And I think it's I think it's part of the issue. I think you've got to be a player. You can't be the lowest in town. Sure. You have to be but I think if you're the I think if you're the highest in town, you probably have the highest turnover too. Because you're trying to buy your team. Exactly, exactly. And I think Domino's as a whole, and definitely at RPM, we do have this amazing dream to sell. I mean, there you can start. I mean, look at Brooke. She started as a driver, never considered this to be the place that she wanted to. I said multiple times. <laughs> I said it over and over. I'm not going to work for Domino's forever. Y'all look <laughs> We're never going to let her leave. Okay, so there's that. But, but, you know, it happens like you hear that story over and over and over again. And I think that that's something that's really special. I mean, again, I've worked other places and I remember the first thing when I came into RPM, I'm like, wait, what? You have people who have worked here for 30 years, for 20 years. I mean, it just blew my mind. And, and yeah, it's crazy that people stay. And, and so it's because of it's because of the culture side of it, you know, talking to managers a lot recently about, you know, what are you doing to, you know, have fun with your team or to appreciate your team. So we're in Louisiana and South Mississippi. And so we like to cook down here. They have some like amazing like food events going on, but it started with the manager bringing something in. I was talking to a manager in Baton Rouge a couple of weeks ago. She talked about, you know, I like to feed my team and, you know, now it's turned into something really big and it started off. She brought a crock pot of food. And then from there, another team member says, you know, well, I really like to make this. And then now it's a potluck and her, her team looks forward to that. And people just don't, they don't recognize the value and little things like that. And so, you know, those are the kinds of stories that we share in pizza college classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a manager who I worked with when I first started over here and she used to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for her team. Now, I mean, I love a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich myself. They're not hard to make. But when you talk to her team, they're like, oh, my gosh. And this one time she asked, she told us if we did this, she would bring us all peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And they talked about that for years about the time sandwiches. It's crazy. I think our teams would be very well served to understand how important the value is in the little things. Um, hey, listen, Drew and I want to be very respectful of your time. And uh, we just got one more question for you. And this is going to be a new question. Every interviewee is going to get. Margaret, your eyes right now are oh, getting yeah. big as pies. Know, it's I'm crazy. Yeah, this like, is oh crazy. Gosh, we're so nervous. This is what we were waiting for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this is my question and, and it's simple. And Brooke, I'm going to give it to you first and then Margaret, you can answer it second. Thinking back over all your years, who is your favorite T 
teacher? I, I have to pick my my general manager when I when I was hired in. Um, I had the same GM from when I was a driver to when he promoted and I became the GM of that store. And so he he taught me everything that I that I know now. And he he held me accountable. He held me to a higher standard and he believed that I could be better than I was and made me do it. Like whether I wanted to be better or not, like we talked about de-escalation, my struggles with that. And that is who made me turn that around and said, you know, if you ever want to have a career here, you have to fix that or it's not going to happen. And I think that it takes a lot of um, insight and just caring enough about your people to get to know what, what they even care about and what would motivate them. Because had, had he not known that now I want this to be a career, you know, my, my opinion had changed at that time. And I was, you know, I was planning for a career path here. If I wasn't planning for a career path, that would have been the wrong thing to say to me because I wouldn't, I I don't care. I don't want a career here, but he, he knew enough and listened enough to the entire team to know how to motivate them. He held me to the standard that he knew I could be at, not necessarily I thought I should be at. That's awesome. I love that answer. Margaret, how about you? Yeah, I'm going back to like back in the like the school days because I did, I had this teacher, I don't know. And when I was in high school, I was kind of all over the place. You know, when people say, what did you want to be when you grow up? And I mean, at one point, I mean, I didn't want to do weird stuff. Like mm-hmm. I want to be a stock market person and work on the floor <laughs> or I want to be an actuary. Like who even knows what that is? Right. But I was like, oh, that sounds super fun. Looking at numbers all day Six long. Years old. I want to be an actuary. <laughs> No one actually said that. <laughs> I mean, I was like 15, but yeah, close enough. And so, um, you know, I've my, I come from teachers, right? My sister's a teacher. My mom's a teacher. My grandma's a teacher. I wanted to be anything but a teacher. <laughs> and so, you know, but I think I had that, that her name was Miss Roussel. Miss Roussel was the one who kind of sat me down and helped me understand like what is it that you really like and what is it that you're really kind of drawn to and and perhaps make some decisions based on that and that I think kind of always kind of stuck with me because um the things you know like I I feel like teaching as a whole like you have it or you don't right so you can learn some things but to like love it kind of going back to the certified trainer stuff you have to kind of love either watching people grow and develop like you were just talking about with your manager, there has to be a little bit of that passion for it. And I think she really helped me recognize that I had that and I didn't have to use it by the traditional path of, of education and being a elementary or high school or teacher that way. So I always look back at, um, she's a doctor now cause she did like school, Dr. Roussel. So what did Dr. Roussel teach when you were 15? English, which, and, and what's, was that English class easy? No, it was super hard. She was a really um, hard. Yeah. She had high standards. She did have high standards. So, so let's just reflect for a second on, bo- on both of your answers. You both said your favorite teachers had high standards and held you accountable this is and made you, made you work hard. And earlier on in the interview, you said that the leaders that did not lower their standards were the ones that we're having the least amount of problems with turnover. I think I yep. see a pattern. Tough love. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm no expert, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. So. All right. Since Sam has said this, the Holiday Inn Express joke, I'm going to come in and say thank you so much for your time. It's been a blast talking with the two of you. And I'm so happy Stephanie tried to tell us we had to do this when I already had you on my list of people I was reaching out to anyway. But shh, let Stephanie think it's all because of her. It's fine. It's fine. Thanks again so much for your time and uh, have a great day. And thanks again to Margaret Jackson and Brooke Fleming from RPM Pizza for just a wonderful conversation. Sam, we've had two virtual trainings and the listeners have told us they want more. Then that's exactly what we should do. Let's give them virtual training event number three. We'll do it on November 3rd. And you know, Sam, in that one, I think we should talk about effective training tracking and performance coaching just in time for busy season. I love that. Let's stick to that 49 bucks for the two hour event. And to register, you can go to train with BTY.com. You know, Sam, though, how about we give our listeners 10 bucks off if they use the code podcast because I'm feeling generous. I like that. Usually we've given five off, but for this one, let's do 10. It is the Christmas season coming up on us. So we're feeling a little extra generous. Again, that's a $10 discount. Use the discount code podcast. And where can they register, Drew? At trainwithbty.com. That's T-R-A-I-N with B-T-Y.com. Do it today. How about we hear from Willie and where you're going? On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. Well, indeed, I will be on the road again, heading down to Kentucky to talk to Chris Short's team. We're going to do a follow-up from the leadership workshops we did a little while ago. We're going to do Leadership 201. We did 101 last time. And, uh, you know, I, I think what's really great about doing these workshops and what, what people that you and I are seeing on repeat basis is they're seeing the same thing that Margaret and Brooke told us about in the interview. And that is that their people need soft skill training and they feel more engaged when they're getting it. And I think it's helping them with their retention when people feel like they're getting the development that they need. So it's, um, it's a really great feeling for me to be able to go out there and help franchisees develop their teams and hopefully help them to get better results, get better retention. But most of all, what the reason that gets my feet out of the bed every single day is I want our team members to have the same great experience with this great brand that I've been able to have over the nearly four decades. How about you, Drew? Where are you on the road to? I'm actually not scheduled for the next two weeks. It's kind of nice. I'm going to be, I've got, so I'm not on the road, but I have uh, webinars with clients because some of the clients are, are small enough that me showing up to do a class for two people doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're doing some webinar training. I have some more learning hub backend and uh, launch items that I'm doing. Um, like right for Thanksgiving, I'm heading down to help Brian Edler and launch learning hub with his group. And I'm working with my friend, Elise, as I said in the beginning on BTYU and some more uh, leadership courses for that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for listening. We would absolutely love it if you shared these episodes with your friends, like them, follow us, give us some stars, because believe it or not, that stuff really helps. This has been episode 19 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. 
I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Bowser Consulting. As always, go out and sell more pizzas. And have more fun. That's all, folks. That's all, folks.